This is Tom Kuzmanis, former Canadian men's national team player, nine-time Canadian champion, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Neewallis Bruce, and we have the hat-trick of hosts today. It is Mr. Corbett Durant. Buddy, how you doing? How's the COVID situation? Uh, yeah, Omicron tackled me, so voice isn't 100%, but it's it's on the men, so I'll play through it. Uh, and that's why we've got the full full team here. We've got Justin Williams as well. Justin, how you doing? Living the dream, my dudes, working night shift, then being here with you guys, then sleeping. I don't know what anything else is. That's all I do is these three things. There we go. And rinse and repeat every day. Yep. And and we have a we have another Canadian in the house, actually. We got three Canadians in the room. Justin Kobe and Mr. Jeremy St. Louis from Florida. He was he grew up in Alberta, did his schooling in Thunder Bay. And now he is in Florida, and he's here to talk some round ball and other things. Jeremy, how's it going? Hey, it's going great, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt. So, Jeremy, if I'm not mistaken, you're with the CBS Sports HQ right now. Is that correct? Yeah, I work with uh, CBS Sports HQ here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They're, um, they've got a studio here and a studio in Stamford, Connecticut. And so I work out of the I work out of the Fort Lauderdale studios here and have done so for oh, going on three years now. Nice one. Now, I guess it's a timely subject. It's international window in the men's circuit. So I do have to ask, what is your take on the Canada soccer situation right now? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, it's um, messy. It's very messy and not Lionel messy. It's just but messy it with a Y. <laughs> um, it's actually, I've, you know, uh, it's actually very disappointing, you know, as a, as a Canadian soccer fan that goes, you know, way back. I remember 1986. I remember uh, not winning a game, not scoring a goal and have waited 36 years for Canada to get back to a world cup. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very vocal about the fact that I'm Canadian. My coworkers at CBS know that. And, and after Canada qualified, you know, I came in, they, they were cheering a round of applause cause they're all Americans. So they, they, they're, they're used to going to the world cup, but they knew what a long drought it was for Canada. I wore my Canadian Jersey in that day. And I was very excited, obviously to get to a world cup. It's not something that I've seen since I was a teenager and now you have this situation where your preparation for a tournament that you haven't been to in almost four decades is being interrupted because of a pay dispute is very, very disappointing. And I've read a lot. I've talked to some people today just about, you know, kind of where it kind of goes, what's kind of happening, what, where the blame lies. And it just seems like so when I was working in Canada, I mean, I'll be honest, when I was working for Fox Soccer Report, we had a guy who worked with us by the name of Bobby McMahon, who was our analyst, and, and he's done a lot of planning of big events. He was an accountant on the side, and and he used to talk a lot about 
the fact that the Canadian Soccer Association was not exactly the most competent uh, group of individuals running Canadian soccer. And I don't necessarily want to put all the blame on Canadian soccer because there's a lot to go around. But I think that the that the fact that the organization has not been run properly, the fact that they've partnered you know, with a company to try and grow the game. And it, and it, it almost looks like it's going to do more harm to the game than good uh, at the end of the day with the way that things are looking right now. It's just, it's really disappointing. I'm really disappointed as a, as a Canadian soccer fan to see this happening. Mm-hmm. Now in saying that watching previous men's world cups, this is nothing new to me. Like I have Ghanaian heritage and 2014 sticks out as an embarrassing moment for them. They, they were fighting over player bonuses right up until the tournament. In fact, I remember the scene when there were trucks bringing in money to mm-hmm. appease the players. So from my perspective, this is nothing I've seen other nations go through this. I think I do think as a neutral that it is better that Canada is going through this now rather than in November. But as you say, it's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's difficult to watch because... One, I'm thrilled to see them back at the World Cup. Two, it's a team that I think we can expect something from. This isn't just a, we snuck in, we're going to have our asses handed to us, and then we'll head home. It's a team that you can expect to to get a win here. Like, it's you, you got to expect that to happen. There's a possibility they could get out of the group stage. But if your preparation is completely truncated as a result of this, then then who knows what to expect. And... I really see this as almost preparation for the following World Cup. Mm. How do you see it, Jeremy? Well, I mean, obviously Canada, they're in a tough group. And, you know, you don't want to call it a group of death, but it's certainly going to be a very tough group for the Canadians to get out of. You have one of the top teams in the world in Belgium in that group. You have Croatia, who's a World Cup finalist not not that long ago. And then you have Morocco and I think you're right. I think there is a win, at least one win in that group. I would like to think there's probably a win and a draw in that group as well. And the definite possibility that it could come down to a tiebreaker in Canada, you know, possibly getting out of the group stage and into the knockout stage, which would be phenomenal. At this point in time, I mean, I'll be honest, I'll be happy with a win. I'll be happy just to see us win a game at the World Cup to score a goal at the World Cup. I hope (laughs) it's Alfonso Davies that gets it because I think that he, you know, he's certainly one of the faces of the team and a guy who's going to give everything to be there. Uh, But, you know, you were talking about the situation with Ghana and I remember that as well. I remember that situation in 2014 and, and it's just not something that you would expect in North America for something like that to happen. I think that that's what the biggest shock is for a lot of people at least a lot of people that I've talked to, is that this is Canada. Why Why is this happening in Canada? Like, you know, there a lot of people, you know, they, they think Canada and the United States are pretty much the same. Our soccer organizations are pretty much the same. We just haven't been to a World Cup in forever. But, you know, the pay structure, the money, the the, the availability of funding, that kind of thing, that, that that's, just, that's just naturally assumed that it's there. So for it not to be there and to be having this dispute and now Canadian soccer saying, well, we can't afford to do this if we go with this and we can't afford to do that if we go with this. It's just really, really shocking, and it goes to war. It goes to what I was saying about some of the questionable decisions that those who are running Canadian soccer have made down the years. Yeah, one one hundred percent. And considering where we're at in the world stage, and the fact that World Cup is coming to North America, you'd think they would have had these sort of things figured out leading up to this way ahead of time. You would have hoped that they would, certainly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would, but. 
I guess not. Uh, do you feel that the CPL has like a big factor in Canada's performance overall in the development of national players? I, I think it's a little bit too soon to say because the CPL hasn't really been around that long. So I think it's a little bit too soon to say that the CPL is having a major in- influence on kind of what Canada is doing. Certainly it's giving players that have Canadian national team desires in their future. It's giving them a chance to play some some high level soccer, you know, on a national stage, like a national league, which is certainly which is certainly great. But I think at this point in time, it's a little bit too early to say that the CPL is having a significant influence. I would think that MLS is still still the main one. And then, you know, obviously going over to Europe is uh, is certainly the goal of every Canadian player, I would want to think, would be to go over to Europe and, and apply your trade in Europe and, and learn from the world's best players that play in the, you know, one of those five top leagues over there. I mean, uh, yeah, that's pretty much ideal to uh, what anybody wants. Somebody grows up being like, you know what I want to play? Just in the MLS or CPL. That's my feather in the cap. It's like, no, you yeah. want to be the next like Ronaldo kind of deal. <laughs> I want to play for Valor FC. Yeah, no, no, exactly. no dreams of doing that. I want to be a wanderer. Just <laughs> wander around yeah, the field, right? potentially yeah. score. <laughs> Although I do find it hilarious that the first ever CPL game ended in a draw. And I was like, that's so Canadian. Just it is sharing very the Canadian. Point. Nobody wants to win. We'll just share it. <laughs> which is a fact um, but anyways uh, another play you brought up so you, you mentioned Alfonso Davy, which he is the roadrunner and as a Bayern Munich fan I've been watching this guy since he came on the pitch even when he was playing for Vancouver but there's another player that's kind of caught my interest also because he's homegrown I'm kind of biased towards him and that's Kyle Laren or people say Sal Laren but Kyle Laren plays for uh, the Turkish League he is I think one of the most unsung heroes of the Canadian national team like he quietly will go in and score like 16 goals. Not in a game, obviously, but he, he's done like 13, 14 goals recently. He's just like a silent assassin. I feel like I feel like him, Alfonso, will be the two people that you're going to want to kind of watch out for in, in the World Cup. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Kyle Lahren's, you know, I mean, he played in MLS with Orlando and, and you know, like he, he kind of made his name there and then obviously to go over and go overseas and play. What was he? Uh, Besiktas, I want to say. Was yep. it Besiktas? Or was yeah, that... still uh, Okay. Uh, who else was at Besiktas? I thought there was someone else at Besiktas, Hutchinson. a Canadian player. A- Atiba, yeah, Hutchinson. Atiba Hutchinson. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, and that Turkish league is no joke. I mean, that's 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 not that's not uh, that's not that's not for the weak-hearted playing in that Turkish league. Those guys, those guys come to play every night, and that's that's rough and tumble soccer. Like that is some hardcore football. Uh, but yeah, I think Kyle Aaron is a you know I I agree with exactly what you said, an unsung hero in terms of Canadian soccer. And if and if Alfonso Davies wasn't, you know, wasn't the talent that he is, I think a lot of it would go to Laren. I think a lot of that recognition would go to him. But at the same time, you know, having a great one-two punch like that is going to, that's the thing that's going to possibly propel you out of the group stage. That's the thing that's going to win you a game. It's going to have, you know, those types of players, players that you can't just focus on one, you have to focus on it more than one in order to stop Canada from winning a game. I agree. Along with one uh, one of our boys, he's uh, he's been on one of our shows before. His name is Theo uh, Cor- Corbano. It's like, I can't really pronounce it. Corbano, yeah, yeah. Um, him and I, he used to be on one of our podcasts that Nee and I hosted before. But uh, I was messaging him actually about mm-hmm. the World Cup and like what's it like in the locker room and stuff like that. And he'll send me like a voice clip back, and he was saying that Kyle Lauren is very much like that bulldog presence. Like he doesn't say too too much. He's like he leaves the talking on the field kind of deal. Well, that's Just, great to have those kind of people because you want to, you know, you want to make sure that you've got guys that are going to be able to pick you up and 
hold you accountable in those in those big moments that that team is going to face. Exactly. Absolutely. And yeah, I definitely think it's in the range of outcomes that Canada ends up with a floor of three points and then a ceiling of, you know, five to six points in that group stage. And anything is possible in that group stage in November. Anything can happen and fans should be hopeful, optimistic, despite what's going on. Now, well, and that's the hope. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm hoping that they get it sorted out. I think I read, I read a thing just a little while ago that they proposed a 30-30-20, no, 30-30-40 split. And I think they wanted, the men wanted a 40-40-20 split. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, you're coming to the same numbers. You're just looking at it in a different way. But I mean, you know, hopefully they can come to an agreement and get back on the pitch and start playing. It's tough that, you know, I mean, Panama has to go, had to go there and they basically just had a glorified training session, but they're going to have to get paid uh, for their expenses and going over there, which is, you know, again, out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So th- to get it sorted sooner rather than later, get back on the pitch and start preparing for the World Cup so that you don't go 0-3 with no goals scored yet again. Yeah. Now, I will say I do see parallels. I grew up in Australia, so I do see parallels with the growing pains that Australia had now, this is before they qualified for 2006. They, they had some growing pains in the late 90s into the early 2000s, and, you know, money was an issue. The national board was cash-strapped. The league was bankrupt, pretty much, and players didn't want to come and play because it was more of a cost for them to leave Europe and go across the world to play for the country. So I do feel like this is a case of the association coming into the professional era a little bit more It'll work itself out in the long term. Fear not if you're a Canadian soccer fan. (laughs) I'll say that. Now, i got to ask, what are your thoughts on the Nations League? Not just the CONCACAF Nations League, but the UEFA Nations League. Is it good for football as a whole? I don't think it is. Uh, I I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a fan of the Nations League. I'm not a fan of it. It's another trophy. And I, you know, back when I was covering soccer full time, you know, on Fox Soccer Report, even back then, I mean, we were talking about the number of games that players have to play, like the number of competitions that they're involved in. And I am just, you know, when the Nations League idea came up and uh, just thinking, God, these players, man, like just give them a break. Like even hockey players get you know, at least two, two and a half months off. And that's mm. like, they're basically running and throwing their bodies in front of things all the time. And, and you know, I just think that the wear and tear on the players is, is just so much. And I, I'm not a fan of the Nations League. I don't follow it. I don't really support it. Uh, you know, I, I think that more soccer is, it, it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's a money grab. It's a money grab. UEFA yeah, yeah. wants to make money. FIFA wants to make money. They're going to try to make as many competitions as they can because they need to keep making money. It's at the expense of the players. And I don't mm-hmm. I don't agree with the idea of the Nations League. I don't think it does anything for soccer. I think it just makes it just, you know, it's just more more added to a player's plate in terms of what they have to play, you know, when they have to play for their country. And, and yeah, I get the competitive aspect of it because now you don't have meaningless friendlies anymore. Now it's just, you know, you're, you're playing meaningful. Every game is meaningful, but you know what? Every game doesn't have to be meaningful. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And we're at a situation where we've got this two week period of, you know, three or four games bunched into a, a small window and then before you know it by the end of june it'll be like champions league qualifying comes back around and then july's preseason for the big leagues in europe 
and then August were back again. So what what break did these guys have? But anyway, that's just that's just my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a big fan of Nations League. I, I'm watching it now because it's a World Cup year, and I'm you know interested in some of the teams that are involved, and I see it like you said as a competitive friendly <laughs> in a way. But yeah, for the most part, it is a money grab. One hundred percent, it's a money grab, right? And I guess it gives uh, the managers some additional work as to who they're going to sit and who they're going to play in order to kind of cycle players. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> but I want to switch gears for a second. Uh, Jeremy, you cover a lot of NFL, right? Yeah, a lot. Yes. Were you an NFL fan as a kid or no? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was a big NFL fan as a kid. Um, I was also a big CFL fan uh, as a kid as hey. well. And um, But for me, I mean, you know, that was back in the back in the mid, 80, mid to late 80s. I was playing football in high school at the time. So, I mean, I was obviously watching as much football as possible. And, and I was a big 49ers guy, a big Joe Montana guy. So yeah, I'm a big uh, I'm a big NFL guy, and I you know the chance to do it with CBS is just yeah it's uh, I mean it's a pretty it's pretty special to be able to do that type of thing when you grew up with it, and then be able to do it with you know with with people and talking to people and working with people that you saw play that you admired when they did play, and now to be sitting next to them and and analyzing stuff with them is really it's a it's I'm very thankful that I get the opportunity to do it as a as a Canadian kid that grew up in, you know, Red Deer and Winnipeg and Thunder Bay. Okay, so you've covered football for a long time and a fan of football for a long time. I've got to, like, to me, this has got to be the craziest offseason I've ever seen in the NFL. What about you? Oh, absolutely. It's nuts. We've been saying this. Uh, um, we, I was just saying this last week to one of our guys. I was working with Danny Cannell. We were doing a, we were doing a segment with Brian McFadden about some of the players to kind of watch out for this coming, this coming season in each of the divisions. We're talking about different win totals and stuff like that. And, and we were saying off camera that, you know, like this off season has just been nuts. Like it just, it just keeps going and it just keeps going and every, you know, it, it slowed down a little bit, but now we're getting, you know, we're getting signings today. Like Aaron Donald restructures his contract. Last week it was, is Aaron Donald going to come back? He's talking yeah. about possibly going, walking away. Now he's restructured his contract. Now he's coming back. And every week there seems to be something that's going on. And now we're getting into that. We're going to get into what we kind of call a little bit of a dead period. You have that dead period that's usually after the draft up until, you know, then you get OTAs, which are mm. just finishing up. And then you're going to get your your mini camps, which are going to come up right away. And then training camp starts up. And then all of a sudden, you're right back into the season. Not unlike what we were just talking about with soccer. But it just seems like this offseason has just been like a freight train. It's just there has been no break. It, it has honestly felt for us covering the game like the season. The, the, they stopped playing on the field, but everything off the field is just crazy. 100%. Like one, one top-tier quarterback moving in an offseason is big news. What's happened this offseason? Insane. <laughs> the top wide receivers of basically Super Bowl-ready teams moving, switching sides, crazy. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the Deshaun Watson situation and the fact that Cleveland went all in on a total gamble when it comes right down to it. Do, do you play fantasy football? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I am... Uh... I, uh, my, my younger brother and I, uh, started a fantasy football league together in 1998 and we are still in that, we're still running that same league. And then I usually get involved in anywhere from, I don't know, six to 10 leagues, depending on the year, really. So, and I work with, I work with some of the top fantasy football guys that are, you know, out there right now. So, I mean, I get, I have guys, I have fantasy football experts that I can yell across the room to that, like, you know, I can get fantasy guidance from. And so, uh, yeah, I play fantasy football for sure. 
Okay, so in a direct comparison here, you've got the Cleveland Browns. They go all in on Deshaun Watson, fully guaranteed contract. Will you draft Deshaun Watson in your fantasy league? No, no, I won't. I, and I've, you know what? I said this, I said this a long time ago. I said, you know, I said that I would not go anywhere near him. First of all, like, I think the Cleveland Browns are going to lose. I think they're going to, that gamble is not going to pay off. And that's why I don't think that they're in a real hurry to get rid of Baker Mayfield, although mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield is in a hurry to get out of there. And mm-hmm. uh, understandably so. But I honestly think that the Cleveland Browns, I mean, I would not be surprised. I mean, what are we up to? 24 lawsuits now? Yeah. And, you know, like, like, uh, Calvin Ridley got suspended last year for gambling fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has twenty four lawsuits, and I don't know whether you guys heard the clip from his lawyer on the weekend. Who, oh yeah, you really should not speak. Like you, you tell your client not to speak. If I'm the client, I'm telling the lawyer not to speak. Like just shut up, man, because you have not made the situation any better. And it would not surprise me if after that, and after a twenty fourth lawsuit comes in, that the NFL says, "Look, this year." He's not playing. And the fact mm. that Cleveland went all in and fully guaranteed that contract, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, oh boy, am I going to be pissed if he does not play. We were thinking we were thinking conservatively four to six games. He'd probably go four to six games. But now that his lawyers basically admitted that this stuff happened and there's 24 lawsuits now, like I, 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 it would not surprise me if the NFL said, you're not playing football this year. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. I mean, when it when it comes to laying out suspensions by the NFL, it's a complete lottery in that case. I, I have no clue as to how they decide how many games someone's going to miss because there have been things that have happened in the past that you figure that's got to be the full season, but it's not. And then you have other situations where, you know, that's six games for, yeah, you know, <laughs> you lose an entire year for $1,500, right? But then you've yeah. got the Hopkins situation. Yeah, that, six games. That, six games, but but it doesn't. That doesn't add up, yeah. right? So performance no. enhancing drugs is less <laughs> impactful to the game than gambling, <laughs> right? Well, so yeah, anything can happen, and that's the whole. Yeah, that's the whole part of it. It, it. it literally is like that. You're rolling the dice. Like nobody knows. I mean, at least in the NHL, you know, in the NHL, you have kind of a standard that you can kind of tell, right? If the NHL yes. says, okay, this player's having a hearing. Okay, so that means one to three games. He's having an in-person hearing. Okay, that means anywhere from four to six games. So you kind of have an idea of what you're kind of looking at or even beyond that. But when it comes to the NFL, like you just, okay, he violated the personal conduct policy. Okay, so what does that mean? four to six games typically. Okay. So when it comes to Deshaun Watson, he hasn't been, it hasn't been proven that any of this stuff actually happened. Right. Right. So there's, they're not following any indictments. There's nothing, he hasn't been indicted. Nothing like that's happened. These are all just lawsuits. So what is the NFL's recourse at this point? Can't, or can't, are they trying to prevent themselves from becoming legally liable for preventing this guy from working? So I think that for the NFL in the, certainly in the, the Deshaun Watson case, you've got to find a legally sound reason as to why you're keeping him out of the game. If it's violation, I think with with 24 lawsuits and his lawyer basically admitting that this stuff happened, you've got enough with the personal conduct policy 
and possibly clauses within his contract that you could probably keep him out of the game for good. Is the NFL going to do that? Of course not, because Deshaun Watson is a good football player and he yeah. makes mm-hmm. money for the league. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to be back playing football at some point. But the NFL is a patient league, right? I mean, you look at the people that have gone out of the NFL and have been able to come back into the NFL. And I'm talking to you, Mike Vick, you know, <laughs> like you have that kind of thing happen. And all of a sudden, okay, now he's allowed to come back and play, right? Ray Lewis was surrounded by mm-hmm. allegations of murder, right? And he had he had some issues and whatnot, but was able to continue playing the game because that wasn't ever proven or anything like that. So I think the NFL has to make sure that it's it's tightening itself up legally that it's not going to face any type of legal action from the player on the other side of that if they decide to say hey you're not playing this season yeah i know a hundred percent and i think there also is some sort of unwritten quarterback rule they've done everything they can to protect quarterbacks i think that extends to off the field issues as well i mean i cite i cite the brady suspension as an example of that right big ben i i'd include big ben in that yeah um, so I guess what I'm hearing is draft Jacoby Brissett in fantasy. Is that what we're doing, Jeremy? <laughs> I would, uh, I would, I'd stay away from that position in that team, and I would not go anywhere near. I'd be, I would, I would, I'd take a flyer on Baker Mayfield not having a team before I would draft anybody on the Cleveland Browns at that point. So, yeah, fair enough, Justin. Yes. So still sticking with the football world, but now switching gears to the CFL. Um, just because I'm the only like these two people, my friends Kobe and Nee, they don't they don't talk about the CFL. They just I didn't grow up with it. It's it's okay, but you're in Canada now and refuse to acknowledge it. Although this is the place where you live and call home now, and where you I, caught COVID. No, it's fine. Nee. It's okay. I get it. Wow. I get it. Traitor. Traitor. I, I had to pull wow. teeth to get these two to come to an Argos game. It was horrible. It was horrible. Moving forward. Well, if I mean, it's an Argos game, I could. I, I understand. Yeah, I guess. Don't get me wrong. Too. Even I was like, this is kind of pathetic. But also, no Canadian content. Um, so just recently, CFL was under some scrutiny for freaking everything. Um, but one thing, though, after that, everything was settled-ish for the most part, Larry Tannenbaum, this, the uh, CFL commissioner, came out and said he is not happy with it. And to read the exact quote, he said, I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with the structure of the league. My concern is in major cities of Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, it's not attracted the younger fans' engagement. So what do you feel like you, Jeremy, could do to bring uh, more, I guess, notoriety and fame and glamour to those three big markets in the CFL? Oh, man. Um, wow, that's that's tough because the CFL, I mean, the people that I work with that are NFL guys. They know of the CFL and they like the CFL. There's a couple of guys I work with who really enjoy it. They air it on ESPN, uh, on the ESPN digital here. I can see all the CFL games. They get the TSN feed. So I can see Friday night football and, and I could see the games that are on, you know, on the weekends of holidays and stuff like that. And, and I mean, when you've got markets that are like that big and especially for Toronto, because Toronto has been trying to get an NFL team for a long time. And, and I don't think Vancouver is in that conversation, but Vancouver is more of a soccer city than a, a football city at this mm-hmm. point. Montreal, I mean, that's a hockey town, right? It's a hockey town. There's hockey and then there's whatever else is going on. That's basically, that's basically Montreal. So but the, but the Alouettes, I mean, for the longest time, when Anthony Calvillo was there and they were winning great cups with uh, Don Matthews, I mean, that was a, you know, that was, that was a, that was a popular team. It was a popular spot. And I, I remember those days. And, and I mean, I grew up with the CFL. I, 
I'm a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan. That's my team. That's who I grew up with. When I went to journalism school, I was in Calgary. So I would go to Stampeders games and watch Doug Flutie. And I mean, the yeah. very first interview I ever bagged as a student was with Jeff Garcia after oh. they'd lost a, after they'd lost a Grey Cup the day afterwards. Um, awkward. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was a little bit awkward. Um, <laughs> having grown up on it, it's just always been there. You know, the CFL is one of those leagues. They just always find a way to stick around. You know, like it's this is not a good comparison. And my apologies to any CFL fans that are listening to this. But the CFL is like a cockroach in a nuclear holocaust. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're just going to live. They're just going to be there. Right. And that's not and I, I say that with a very positive slant to it, because I have faith that the CFL is always going to be around. There's always going to be fans that are going to go to the CFL. It's just, you know, when we had that that expansion into the United States, that was, mm. you know, a huge failure Debacle. but at the same time you know the league was expanding and you would like to see that okay the league's growing this is great but it was kind of like they 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 thought they were bigger than they were then they realized they weren't and they just went back to what they are and now they're just comfortable being what they are i think the cfl has kind of found its its edges if i can say that like they know where not to go you know they know where they're good they know where they they kind of they kind of know their zone right so and they just kind of stick to that and I mean, I, you know, I've talked to a couple of NFL players who played in the CFL. When I was covering college football down here, a lot of the guys in the the conference that I was covering, Conference USA, a lot of those kids, you know, if they weren't going to the NFL, they would go to the CFL. There's a lot of kids that are like that, that end up going to the CFL to play in the CFL. And, you know, I think that the, that the league, I mean, it's a competitive league. I talked to, um, uh, I did a thing with uh, Ocho Cinco, and he, of course, played with the Alouettes. And I asked him about that. I said, you know, what about your time with the Alouettes? Like, what did you, how was that experience? And he said, look, he says, I'm going to be honest with you. He says, that league has a lot of really good athletes in it. A lot of really good athletes. And I think that the athletes in that league are underrated. I think that the CFL gets a bad rap because that was not an easy league to play in. I thought I would go up there and be able to dominate and just, you know, do that. But no, it was not that way. There are some very good athletes in the CFL. Some guys who could certainly be in the NFL, but they just, for whatever reason, they just didn't get the opportunity. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been preaching to the choir for years. So thank you for that from a professional standpoint. Uh, now, one last kind of bit of a sillier question to kind of throw your way. Your time in Thunder Bay, how many times were your classes canceled either due to minus 35 weather or casually bears walking across campus? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, that was a long time ago. So uh, I have to think back. Jeez, I don't, I don't know if many of my – I think I – I think classes got canceled a couple of times due to snowstorms. Hey, man, I mean, I lived in Fort William, okay? And I had to, and the university is in Port Arthur. So, I mean, I used to have to walk to the bus station at the Victoriaville Mall complex that was there. And from where I, for where I lived, that's a walk towards the lake. And when you've got that, when you've got that wind coming off the lake in January, that is going to let you know that you're alive and wish you were dead. And then, you know, having to go take the bus all the way to school and whatnot. I remember there being some really cold days where I just was walking. I thought, why the hell am I going to school today? Because this is really freaking cold. But, you know, end up going to class anyways. I think there was maybe one or two times it may have been canceled because of snow or something like that. But I don't remember it being cold. I do remember seeing bears, but I don't remember it being uh, cold. And I used to like bite there was like a forest near the university where i used to bike through and i was like i go there all the time and just be like god please no bears just no bears no bears jump out <laughs> of me and take me off my bike i'm good just let me get through this yeah 
Well, so I was going to say, in um, in the summertime, hands down, Thunder Bay is probably one of the best campuses on the face of this planet, uh, just for its wildlife and so much history up there. So I loved it in the summertime, except for three, there's three stories, like three real quick stories I'll tell you. I transferred from Centennial College to Thunder Bay, like Lincoln University. And during the summer, yeah. one of our classes were canceled because a bear and her cubs were just walking through the campus. Like, that was it. They're just like, yeah, don't... Don't even bother coming. Just we'll send it to you online. I'm like dope. <laughs> Second story. I was sitting there and I was in like a, the student housing area and I was having my peanut butter sandwich or whatever it is. I go to the bathroom. I come back and there's a deer just nibbling on my sandwich. Hmm. And I was like, that's cute, but that's also like three dollars and I'm broke. <laughs> so either I kill you and get more food, or <laughs> I don't know. It's getting back to nature. Peanut butter, no, no jelly, just. Peanut butter, blueberry jelly. Let's not get crazy, Kobe. Okay, okay. Okay. Newfoundland, remember? Newfoundland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With codfish oil on it for fun. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> gross. But then, uh, yeah, the last story, the first time I moved up there, we had a um, like one of those like meetings. I want to say conference, whatever it's called. The uh, Jesus, whatever it is. Like, you get together in a like, huge hall and they kind of talk about, like, welcome to Thunder Bay. Um, one of the things they actually said was, they're like, yeah, the school closes at minus 35. And my buddy, who's been in Toronto with me my whole life, he turns to me and he goes, that means it gets to minus 35. Hmm? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and colder. And we had like four <laughs> cancellations just because of the cold. <laughs> Not even snow. It was like, yeah, it's minus 40. Don't show. Was that in the Agora? You have to go meet in the Agora? No, yeah, that's yeah, right. The Agora. The lake, there, right? Yeah. The lake. Yeah, yeah. The the lake is uh the lake is just outside of there. You go sit out there in the summertime or in the springtime and the when the thaw comes and you get to sit by the water in the in the lake. That was nice. I that was I you know what, I, I don't disagree with you. That campus in the summertime and in the springtime, uh was beautiful even in the fall when the leaves start to change, it's a beautiful campus. It's a beautiful campus. And I'm sure it's grown a lot since I've been there. I mean that was Geez, I graduated in 94. So, I mean, I'm sure it's grown a lot uh, since then. But uh, I have very fond memories of, of Lakehead University in my time there. I was there. So, I was there. Just to let you know, when I was there, the outpost opened. Oh, my God. I love the outpost. That's when I was there. The year, my second year at Lakehead University is when the outpost opened. And before that, okay, the bar was l- like... Literally, like, we're, okay, so you know the book, you know where the bookstore, the bookstore was. Okay, the bookstore used to be the bar. That like, so you walked down the stairs in that like small ass area. Yeah, yeah, oh that used to be the bar. Oh my god. Yeah, and then so, and then they opened the outpost, which is like a two a two level bar, right? Like, I mean, it's huge. It's With a huge, a huge stage too. The, yeah. Yeah, I saw the bare naked ladies there for crying out loud. I mean, that's you know, I I had a. a friend who I went to school with there, she was, went to high school with the drummer and they weren't big at the time. They had, they had not made it big at that point. And they came to Thunder Bay. I paid five bucks to see them play. The next time right I on. saw them, I paid like 75 bucks to see them play, but. Yep. So I'm a stand up comedian and by trade, there's a comedy club up there called Crickets. So whenever okay. I go to a show, I always stop over to Thunder Bay and I'm like, I should do a special like inside the outpost one day, just grab a mic and do a show here for like the students. Just like five bucks. Come see me. Absolutely. That would be so that would be so great, especially because you're, you know, you're you're an alumnus. So, you know, that's that's a that's a big thing. You would be able to speak from experience. 100% about how shitty engineering is. <laughs> I remember the engineering. I was in the science program. We were in the same building, so I remember. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um I learned a little bit about Thunder Bay. So thank you for that, gentlemen. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll get out there one day. Never go there, Nate. <laughs> yeah, don't ever go there. As an Aussie, <laughs> I suggest you don't go there. 
Nobody nobody goes to Thunder Bay on purpose, okay? <laughs> Except for uh shit. Okay. Noted. I'll I'll I made a note of that. Don't go to Thunder Bay. Copy that. Thanks, guys. Now Jeremy, I gotta ask. You've had a storied career. And you've had some significant interviews. I know you interviewed Wesley Schneider after the Champions League final. You interviewed Michelle Platini. What's been your standout interview or what have been some of the standout interviews that you've done throughout your career? Oh, man. Um, I would say probably one of my favorite interviews was uh, David Beckham. Uh, I had the good fortune to interview him twice. And I just was so blown away by a guy who's, you know, an international icon and just how friendly and um, just personable he was. He was very friendly and a really, really good guy. And, you know, he was very appreciative of of the fact that I, you know, asked him questions that related to his love of the game. A lot of people, you know, ask him questions about fashion and whatever else. But uh, the first time that I interviewed him, I just stuck to football questions with him. And, and, uh, and he really appreciated that because that's obviously his passion. Beckham was great. Uh... Michelle Platini was very good as well, uh, but KG. I mean, you know, at that point mm. in time, he's you know the the head of UEFA, so he's very KG at that time. In terms of interviews, geez, I interviewed Ronaldinho. He was actually a very interesting interview because he was also very um, shy, which was surprising for uh, someone of global stature that he was at. Mm. Uh, Messi also was quite shy when I happened to interview him. I had to go through a translator to interview Messi, but he was also quite uh, quite shy and had no use for any of the questions that I asked him. It was very <laughs> much of the... I very much got the impression from him that he would rather be in Thunder Bay than standing <laughs> yeah. there getting interviewed by me. But uh, yeah, so those were those were great. And, um, and then I... Yeah, in terms of interviews, uh, Thierry Henry was really good. Uh, talking to him was really was really nice. Uh, Rijkaard was also very good. I had the chance to talk to Mourinho, which he's a very very personable guy as well. Uh, Jose Mourinho was, and yeah, I mean those are a lot of the main soccer ones that I've done, and that I've had the the really good fortune to to work with some fantastic soccer people. Like I worked with uh, Ruud Hulet. Uh, Christian Vieri, who I've actually was, I was actually, I'm actually good friends with Vieri. He is an absolute character. And he's a guy who, when I was working in Winnipeg on Fox Soccer Report, I used to do his highlights. And so when I was, I was doing this soccer discussion show, when I was working for BN Sports, we would do this roundtable every Monday night. And he was there. And I, I remember like literally just being on the air and looking at him, uh, one of the first few times that I was, that I was hosting and he was on the show looking at him going, I used to watch you score goal after goal after goal, and now you're sitting like five feet from me. This is like a pinch me type of thing. And then I had the chance to work with Tony Adams. Um, I've worked with just guys that we had come through through our associations with La Liga, and then be in sports, had World Cup rights and Copa America rights, so we had the chance to work with some really, you know, some some very prominent footballers that, that that's kind of just come through and 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 you know they'll come in for a month and then they're gone so yeah i mean it's it's been um i've had a chance i've had the good fortune as i said to interview and and work with some very very prominent people and i'm very thankful that i've been able to do that it's been a fantastic ride so far absolutely and i'm sure there's more to come now speaking of which you're you mentioned that you you grew up supporting the 49ers i assume you're still a fan 
Of the Niners? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. I'm still a fan of I'm still a fan of the 49ers. I'm also I I kind of have a few teams that I like. I like the Vikings too because I used to go down to see Vikings games uh, when I was working in Winnipeg. We'd go down to Minneapolis and see Vikings games, and uh, so I became a became like a secondary fan of the of the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, but yeah, still a 49ers fan. I I, I kind of go up and down with them based on you know what they're doing. I don't know what they're going to do with the quarterbacking situation there but i guess we'll we'll soon find out right yeah and hopefully they're defensively a bit better as well not what i mean by that is in the secondary i think there's still a little bit of weakness at defensive back but we'll see what the i'm a 49ers fan by the way i forgot to mention that but i hope this season's better than last season's finished that was heartbreaking well, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see the the um, you know the emergence of Trey Lance and kind of what what that looks like because obviously expectations very high for him. And with the Jimmy G situation, I mean, they're not going to trade him. Maybe they will. Maybe it's going to be an in season thing. I don't know what's going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think Garoppolo has kind of gotten a bad rap. I mean, here's a guy who's taken them to what three NFC Championship games, took him to Super Bowl, and mm. you know, and they're trying to run him out of town, like. I think Jimmy Garoppolo gets a lot of stick for for a guy who's actually a pretty been a pretty decent quarterback for them. Yeah, he has been. He's definitely when he's when he's healthy, he's definitely won games. I, I definitely give you that. I just think that the things that have been magnified have been how he's performed in the clutch. So in the fourth quarter against the Rams in that championship game in the Super Bowl against Kansas City, trying to come back. Those are the things that. I guess the casual fans remember. So you are right. Uh, he's definitely lifted the 49ers because don't you worry. I remember Blaine Gabbert and some of those quarterbacks that came in between. <laughs> so uh, don't you worry. I remember those guys. I got COVID brain right now, so the names don't come to me, but I, I still have traumas from seeing some of those guys start at quarterback. CJ Beathard, I think, played for a while. CJ freaking Beathard. Thank you. CJ freaking yeah. Beathard. There we go. I call him uh, CJ Beathard. That's what I yes. call Yes. 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 I remember that from fantasy. C- his name is CJ because he gets beat hard. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. A classic. <laughs> yeah. I think the Jimmy G situation, I think he's permanently injured at this point. I think that's what that is. I don't think he's ever going to come back 100%. And that's why they've got to move on. Personally, I. I don't expect much from Trey Lance this season. I really don't. Maybe a little bit of a trial by fire for him this season. Oh my god, this this is so this has gone long, but it's been awesome talking to you. Jared. No, it's been fun. No, it's been fun. <laughs> it's been great talking to you. It's been great talking to you guys. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience, where no sport is left behind.